Hello, and welcome to Elder Health Connection, a podcast where I gather innovators in elder health care to discuss their unique perspectives on caregiving and care receiving. My name is Caroline Morris, and I use my combined experience in biochemistry, physical therapy, health coaching, and growing up next door to my grandparents to dig deep into the complexities of aging and then draw out practical solutions that can fit into your life. I record this show from my home in Alexandria, Virginia, sometimes with the input from my dogs, Benny and Barry. Thank you for joining us today. February is one of my favorite months out of the year. Not only is it my birthday month, it's that time in winter where the sun really starts to come back in a noticeable way. And that just lifts my spirits so much and gives me a lot of hope for um, the months ahead. And here in the United States, it's also heart month, which is a topic near and dear to my heart. So on this podcast, we will be featuring heart health related topics for the entire month of February. It's also a great time to think about your own heart health and really a foundational measure of heart health is blood pressure. So for that reason, I am sharing my signature course, how to lower your blood pressure naturally at a deeply discounted price for the month of February. So to get access to this course, you can go to carolinemorris.com. It'll be on the homepage. You can also click the link in the show notes. And I put so much love and effort into this course to bring you the best evidence around what can lower your blood pressure naturally, what the research says you can expect. So, you know, how much will each change lower your blood pressure And I also put a lot of time and attention into guiding you through how to choose which strategies will be best for you, figure out things that you'll actually do and stick with. And then you get a live call with me as a bonus of this course as well. So head on over to carolinemorris.com. Like I said, it's on sale for the entire month of February and the price will go up come March. Hello and happy February. We are kicking off Heart Month here on Elder Health Connection with module one of my course, How to Lower Your Blood Pressure Naturally. I am so passionate about blood pressure and so excited about this course that I figured the best way to share it with you was just to give you a taste of it so you can learn my teaching style, understand why blood pressure may be important and relevant for you, and hopefully get you thinking and get you acting in service of your health. Take care. Welcome to module one of 10 ways to lower your blood pressure naturally with me, Caroline Morris. I am so excited to get started with you on this important topic. 
And today what we're really going to be focusing on is defining high blood pressure. So what is it, what causes it, and why should I care? And before we get started, I do want to give you this reminder that all of the information I present is for your education only, and it is not medical advice. And similarly, no provider-patient relationship is established in the exchange of this information. And this is really important because we need to be clear that this is to help inform you about your healthcare choices, but this is not advice specific to you necessarily. We would need to know each other quite a bit better and actually work with each other in order to have that type of relationship. All right, so some definitions that you might hear related to blood pressure. First is systolic blood pressure or SBP, and that's the pressure in the arteries when the heart beats. So systole is just the term for when the heart is contracting. And as you can start to visualize when the heart contracts and it forces blood out into the arteries, the pressure is going to be higher because you've just put more blood into the system. So our systolic blood pressure is always the higher number and it's almost always represented on top. Diastolic, on the other hand, is the pressure in the arteries when the heart rests between the beats. And diastole refers to the phase of the heart when it's resting and filling with blood again. So as we can imagine, when the heart is resting and not forcing any blood out, the pressure is lower in the arteries. And so what we see here is the diastolic number is always lower and usually on the bottom. We measure blood pressure in a unit called millimeters mm of mercury, Hg, if you remember back to the periodic table, and that's just a unit of pressure. And then finally, we have hypertension, sometimes abbreviated HTN, which is just another word for high blood pressure, which sometimes we'll see as HBP. And I have these links here and they're in your workbook as well. If you would like to learn more about how blood pressure is most accurately measured, which is actually more involved than you might think. And it's pretty important because if you're going to be diagnosing someone with high blood pressure, we wanna make sure that it's a true resting blood pressure that we're getting not impacted by your activity or the way you're sitting or anything like that. So we have a very clear and accurate diagnosis. So we'll talk a little bit more about the arteries, which is where we're actually measuring blood pressure. And they are blood vessels that carry blood away from the heart. So the blood leaves the heart and then travels through arteries to all the places in the body that it needs to go. And arteries are special kinds of vessels because they're lined in smooth muscle. And as you can see here at the top, we've got a normal artery. This is a little section of it. The arrow shows the direction of blood flow. This kind of pinkish red structure is the arterial wall, which is that muscular layer. And then we we look at it in cross-section, it looks nice and smooth and circular. Now down here in the B image, we see when an artery starts to become narrowed. 
And what they're trying to show by this arrow is that there's less space for blood to flow. And that space is taken up by this plaque that's formed here. And you can see in cross-section two just how much space that plaque is taking up. So when we start to think about pressure, there are a few things we can consider. The first is the blood volume. So how much blood is there at any given time in the artery? And like we talked about on the last slide, when the heart beats, you temporarily get more blood volume as it's pushed out and the pressure is higher. And then when it rests, you get a pause in blood volume and the pressure is lower. Now that's a very normal occurrence and it's supposed to have those changes in volume, but we can also think more broadly as to whether there's just more blood in general in the body or bigger volume of blood in the body or less, and that can influence our blood pressure as well. You can also think of a garden hose and if you turn on the water at a trickle, there's very low pressure in the hose, but if you increase the volume of water running through the hose, then it starts to, to jet out the end of it with much higher pressure. The next thing to consider is the size of the opening. So like we started to talk about in these images, in image A in our normal artery, we have a really nice wide opening Whereas in image B with this plaque, we start to get a narrowed opening. So again, if we think of this cross section, like the end of our garden hose, the top one A would just be like our normal hose and B would be like if we put our finger over part of the end of it and then the pressure starts to increase quite a bit with that opening being partially blocked. And then lastly, we wanna think about Kind of the structure of the wall. Is it elastic or is it stiff? And there are a few things that come into play here. So like I mentioned before, our arteries are lined in smooth muscle. So the muscle can contract and relax and the muscle is supposed to be very elastic, can have both properties and it's a very good and normal function that our arterial walls can contract when they need to to increase pressure and they can relax when they need to to reduce pressure. Now when we start having plaques involved like this yellow stuff you see here that is always stiff so we start getting less responsiveness to changes and less elasticity. So our plaque will always make the structure harder and therefore increase the pressure. So how are we actually defining high blood pressure? So these are the American Heart Association 2017 guidelines. And these guidelines are a little bit different from past guidelines and some guidelines that are currently in use internationally. So if you've been confused or keep hearing a lot of conflicting information as to what is high blood pressure, that may be where some of the confusion is coming from. And what these 2017 guidelines did was they started defining blood pressure, high blood pressure and elevated blood pressure at lower numbers than they did previously. So our normal blood pressure, 
I think is com people commonly say that 120 over 80 is the ideal blood pressure, but that's not really true. We want to actually be under 120 and under 80 to have an ideal blood pressure. When we start getting at and above 120 systolic and less than 80, that's where we're in what's called elevated blood pressure. And this category has gotten some more attention and I put the reference at the bottom of the slide because what has been found through years of research is that people whose blood pressure is consistently under 120, they don't really see many changes in their blood pressure over subsequent years. They stay pretty stable. But once their blood pressure is consistently 120 to 125 systolic, that's when things really start to take off in the direction of high blood pressure. So once they get to about that area, as they continue to age, they're more likely to have these rapid increases in blood pressure. So that's why we're starting to pay attention to this elevated range more. High blood pressure or hypertension stage one is defined as 130 to 139 or 80 to 89. So someone could be, have a blood pressure of 135 over 70, and that would still be stage one hypertension because we've met one of the criteria. Or it could be 120 over 80, that ideal perfect blood pressure, but we're actually at stage one hypertension with that blood pressure following the criteria strictly. Stage two high blood pressure or hypertension is when we're starting to get systolic 140 or higher or diastolic 90 or higher. So again, you only need one of those two values to be above range in order to be qualified as stage two. And then the last one is what's called hypertensive crisis. And as the name implies, this is where things are getting very concerning and we're seeking medical attention immediately. So for this, you need your systolic to be higher than 180 and or your diastolic higher than 120. And this is when the risk of what we call adverse events, so something like a heart attack or a stroke are starting to become a lot higher. And it's not just like a wait and see situation any longer. You, you, you do need immediate attention. What are some things that can affect our blood pressure? And this table does not include all of the things, but it does include several of them that I think are, are helpful to start thinking through. So we first have what are called rapid changes. So these are things that happen just in the course of a, a day or an hour, a few minutes, very quick changes. And the first is position change. So when we go from lying down to standing up, we actually can have an increase or a decrease in blood pressure depending on the way our body responds. So if you imagine yourself lying down, and maybe you are lying down right now, and your body is horizontal, and the blood is pretty evenly distributed throughout your body with respect to gravity. Gravity is not playing a big role on whether your blood goes to your head or to your feet or back to your heart. 
Now, when you change from that horizontal position to a vertical one, like with standing, gravity is going to say your blood should go straight to your feet. And if that happens and the blood starts to leave your head and upper body and go straight to your feet, then you might feel lightheaded, dizzy, you might temporarily lose your vision. And this is because you've had this decrease in blood pressure due to gravity. Now, if your body can quickly respond to that change by using those muscular walls of your arteries to tighten up the vessels, then your blood pressure will actually increase when you stand up. Stress, and this can be any type of stress, general fear or a white coat syndrome that you may have heard of will increase your blood pressure. And then any type of activity, whether it's exercise or sexual activity, will also increase your blood pressure during the activity itself. And caffeine can also increase your blood pressure and acute means short-term or immediate effect. Now, slow changes, these have a little bit more lasting effect on your blood pressure. And the first one is circadian rhythm, which just refers to our 24-hour rhythm or cycle through a day and night. So it's very common for your blood pressure to be lowest during the night and high during the day, and it's usually highest in the morning. And again, if we think of our body being hopefully more relaxed and restored at night, it starts to make sense that our blood pressure is lower. And if you think of your body gearing up in the morning for the day, it starts to make sense that it'll be higher. Now, we did say that during exercise, our blood pressure is higher, but what we find is that when we regularly exercise, our overall blood pressure is lower, which is one of the reasons why we recommend exercise for health overall. Now, hormonal status and oral contraceptives or the birth control pill can affect blood pressure by increasing it, but that's not something that we're going to go into any further in this presentation. Sodium or salt and potassium, another electrolyte, also have roles in our blood pressure. And so what we find is that people who eat more salt or sodium in their diet will have an increase in blood pressure. And then people who have a lot of potassium in their diet will have a decrease in blood pressure. And that has to do with a lot of factors, but one of the main ones is the way that our body regulates blood volume through our kidneys. So when your kidneys are deciding how much fluid to keep in your body and your blood or to leave your body through your urine, a lot of that has to do with how much sodium or potassium is around. So if there's more sodium around, we tend to retain more fluid. If there's more potassium around, we tend to release more fluid. If you think of going out to eat, restaurants tend to be very high in sodium. I usually feel pretty puffy or bloated after eating at a Mexican restaurant, eating all the salty chips. But if you pair those salty chips with guacamole, you actually mitigate it a little bit because avocados are very high in potassium. And then we get on to our favorite substances in Western culture, caffeine and alcohol. So interestingly, Drinking caffeine 
over the long term or chronic can actually decrease your blood pressure. But on the other hand, drinking alcohol, especially large amounts of alcohol will increase your blood pressure. And I think this is an important, an important point because we often think that alcohol just affects the liver, which it does and doesn't affect all these other systems, but it really can have an impact on many parts of your body, including your blood pressure and your heart. Then we move into these very slow changes. So things that take a lot of time or don't change at all during our lifetime. And the first one is age. So what we found is that blood pressure does tend to increase with age. But what was interesting in this article, they reported that that finding really only is true for Western society. And when they start to look at some indigenous tribes who live the way that their people have always lived, they actually don't find that age has anything to do with blood pressure. And they think that's mainly diet related. Your sex can also have a role. Blood pressure does tend to be higher in males as compared to females, but that's only true up until the point that females go through menopause. The mechanism there, the thought there is that estrogen, which is common in women before menopause, this form of it, actually protects us from high blood pressure. But after menopause, our risk as women is just the same as it is for men. Our body mass index or how much we weigh compared to how tall we are is also related to blood pressure. So the higher our weight, the more likely we are to have higher blood pressure. And the more we put on, the higher the blood pressure gets as well. And then lastly, we have genetic variants. So are the genes we inherit? And this isn't really a clear-cut relationship. This is something that is a lot of genes impacting it. So it's not like some traits where you either have the gene and you have the trait, which in this case would be high blood pressure, or you don't have the gene and you don't have high blood pressure, that's not what's working out here. It's much more complicated than that. Here are some really wonderful animations that the American Heart Association has put together that again are in your workbook that I really encourage you to look through so you can start to see exactly how our vessels respond when our blood pressure is high, what it looks like compared to a normal blood pressure, and it really starts to help everything come alive. So they're really wonderful videos, and it takes you to a library of them that also have videos of other heart conditions or vessel conditions. So if you do have any of those or family members with different heart conditions, it can help to better understand those as well. Okay, so this is where we start to get into the why should I care about blood pressure, which is the health threats that can come when our blood pressure is high, especially when it's been high for a long time. And before I get into this because it is kind of 
like one of those downer conversations and I don't want to, to fear monger anybody, but it is important. So for many of us, our blood pressure is an early warning sign and it's one that we either take seriously or don't. And a lot of us don't take it seriously because usually in the early stages, we're not noticing anything impacting our life. We're not having any symptoms. We're not having any major illnesses. It's just something that we see on a machine, but it's not very real for us. But there are very real consequences. And I would encourage you to think about this high blood pressure is actually something really fortunate that you're really lucky to have it as this early warning sign before some of these other things happen. And there are people who get no warning signs and they actually, their first sign of any sort of heart or vessel disease is their death, which is really tragic and yet surprisingly common. I would venture that you would probably actually know someone whose first sign of heart disease was their death. And if you didn't know them personally, you probably only have to go out one degree of separation to find them. So I encourage you to think of this high blood pressure to kind of reframe it as you're really fortunate. Your body is giving you a sign that something is amiss. And now that you know this, you can do something about it before it develops into another condition. So we'll start kind of top down going through these conditions. They all have to do with usually blockage of an artery and where it is. So if an artery is blocked in our brain, then it's called a stroke where some of our brain tissue starts to die and that can lead to all sorts of problems and disability. And that's actually been a lot of my career as a physical therapist has been treating people after their strokes. If things happen in the eyes, it can lead to vision loss. And I should clarify that usually it's a blockage of arteries that causes these problems, but sometimes the pressure is so high and the arteries can become brittle. They're not as elastic as they should be, so they can actually burst. And that's what's called a hemorrhage when you've got bleeding happening internally. So stroke can be both a blockage or a hemorrhage. Same thing in the eye with vision loss. Now, if we look at the heart, there are a few things at play here, and we'll talk about heart attack first. So the heart itself actually needs blood to work. It's a muscle. So there are these tiny arteries that you can't see in this image, but they go around the muscle of the heart to supply it so it has the energy to pump. And those are called the coronary arteries, which you may have heard of before. Now, when those are blocked, that's what's called a heart attack. And so again, if we think about the plaque or the narrowing of the arteries, when they happen in the arteries on the heart, the coronary arteries, we have a heart attack. Heart failure can come for a few different reasons. Heart failure means that the heart 
is no longer strong enough or efficient enough to keep up with the demands of the body. And sometimes that happens if our blood pressure has been elevated for a really long time. So the heart has been working hard for a long time to overcome that blood pressure so that it can pump enough blood out that it starts to weaken. Or as you may have seen in those videos that I linked to, the heart muscle can get so thick. If you think about like lifting weights or resistance training and your other muscles get bigger, the same thing can happen with the heart. But the problem is the way it thickens is inward. So it starts to get really thick muscular walls which doesn't leave any room for blood to come in to fill. And so not enough blood gets pumped out in this condition, leading to heart failure. Heart failure can also occur after a heart attack. So like in the brain with a stroke, where there's a blockage and some brain tissue dies, with a heart attack, there's a blockage and some of the heart muscle dies. And that can lead to inefficiencies in the way the heart works, which can also lead to heart failure. So this is why you're probably familiar that blood pressure is very much related to heart disease and often treated by a cardiologist because they just are so linked to one another. If we work our way down to the kidneys, there are a few things at play here. They do have small arteries, which are, are the smaller the arteries, generally the more vulnerable they are. But the kidneys are also the organs that are really responsible for regulating our blood pressure. So long-term high blood pressure can actually lead to them failing. If we work our way down further, we get to sexual dysfunction as well. So still on the theme of our smaller arteries being the most vulnerable, our small arteries in our reproductive system are vulnerable too. And just to kind of illustrate the relationship, Viagra was actually originally intended to be a blood pressure medication. And then when the people taking it, noticed all these other effects of it is when they switched gears and marketed it for erectile dysfunction. So again, our blood vessels are important everywhere in our body and it's all connected. Something not shown on this image, but that is important is something called peripheral arterial disease. So periphery meaning on the outskirts, not in the center of the body. So this is the disease of the arteries, usually in our legs, but it can be in our arms as well. And to just share a story, uh, my most memorable story of peripheral arterial disease was when I was working in the hospital. And at the time I was treating patients who were admitted to the hospital for whatever reason. So this one day I had a patient on my schedule assigned to me and the way it works is I would look up their chart in the morning, make sure that they were okay to be seen for physical therapy, you know, check in throughout the day, trying to find the right time. So this patient had been admitted for chest pain. He was probably in his late forties and he was scheduled to go for some further testing to determine if those arteries in his heart were blocked, like we talked about earlier, to make sure he wasn't at risk for a heart attack. 
And so normally in that case, I would kind of just let someone go for the test and not see them for physical therapy until afterwards, just not wanting to overexert them when we didn't really know what was going on to cause their chest pain. But for this guy, it was a little bit different. He was someone who just got really restless in the hospital, didn't like being cooped up in one place was moving freely around the room, didn't want to be there, kind of threatening to leave if we kept him in the room. So he was someone that I decided to go ahead and see before his testing. And he did fine. We walked around the unit. He started to calm down a lot, you know, no chest pain. So all of that looked good. And we got back to his room and I was helping him get situated back in his bed. And I don't remember what it was he said, but something prompted me to take his socks off. And we, I took his socks off and we both looked at his feet and they were completely gray. And he, he was a pretty funny character and called them creature feet. And, you know, I felt for pulses. I couldn't find any in his feet and let his nurse know. And then what ended up happening was instead of going for his heart test later in the day, he spent the rest of the day in emergency surgery to save both of his legs from amputation. And what had happened was he had had such big plaques and blockages in the arteries in both of his legs that he was at risk of both of his feet dying and losing both of his legs. But fortunately, we were able to catch it on time and save it. I know, like I said, the slide's a little bit of a downer. It is important to know that blood pressure can affect really our whole body because our whole body is reliant on our blood supply. But I do want you to keep in mind that it really is a nice early warning sign that we can do something about. So now it's your turn. You've got the module one workbook to complete. There are a lot of prompts and questions in there that are designed for you to really start to take inventory of your own health, what you've done so far, what you would like to do. So I do recommend that you allow some time and some space if you can to reflect on the questions and that you actually do do them. I know I myself will often look at workbooks and not do anything with them, but if you do actually take the time to do it, I think you'll get a lot out of it and you're worth it. This is you know, this is your opportunity to start to learn about yourself, learn about where you are now, and then make some better decisions for the future. So I am so excited for you to get going on this process, and I can't wait to see you in module two. Bye. All right, that's a wrap on module one, your introduction to my course, How to Lower Your Blood Pressure Naturally. If you would like to continue on to the other modules where you do learn all the ways to lower your blood pressure naturally and learn how to choose the ones that you'll actually do, please head over to carolinemorris.com and you can click on the Learn With Me page to find the course. I also have it linked in the show notes. 
and that way you'll gain access to all of the additional materials I referenced throughout module one and the remaining three modules where you learn how to really make an impact on your life. Thank you. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not create a provider-patient relationship between us. If you have questions about your health, please speak to a qualified health professional. If you would like to learn more about working with me as your qualified health professional, please visit carolinemorris.com. Did you know that gratitude is good for your health? If you found value in this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a rating or review. To keep the connection going, subscribe to Elder Health Connection on your favorite podcast player to get immediate access to upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, Caroline.